Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. We are now ready to hear from our pastor, Kate, who's going to come up and bring us... um, the message this morning from the, the Word of God, from here, that God has spoken to her, and um, I know it's going to be a good one. So do you want to come up? I'll just pray for you. So Lord and Heavenly Father, we just thank you for um, the Word that you have given Kate to bring us this morning, Lord. I believe it's going to be um, a pivotal one for many of us, and Lord, I just pray that we would... Um, have our ears um, sharpened and our eyes focused to hear what you have to say to us, Lord. And I thank you for um, what you have downloaded into Kate's spirit to bring this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Morning, everybody. Morning online. Morning, Pastor. Are you enjoying your lying? Not really. Poor old Ali. He's had a 13, 14-hour AF all through the night, he's had no sleep, so we pray for you, bless you, enjoy just, uh, just enjoy Jesus, amen. Cool. 80 years ago, in 1944, Smith Wigglesworth walked the streets of West Bridgeford. And for the benefit of those who don't know who Smith is, he was a British, British evangelist, he was very influential in early history of Pentecostalism in the UK. And if you're not aware, you are in a Pentecostal church. So Smith is, is dear to our hearts. After he died, doctors are said to have found some of the bone on each of his kneecaps missing. Later in his house, others found two indentations a foot apart on a wooden floor in the corner of a room. True story? Who knows? But it is one of thousands of tales of a man who is said to be responsible for countless healings and for raising 14 people from the dead. Anyone up for a bit of that? Come on. Anyway, like I said, back in 44, Smith walked the streets of Nottingham. And whilst he was out walking to church, he bumped into a lady called Mary Bicknell. And this, I can tell you, is a true story because Mary was part of the church that met in this building. Smith didn't know Mary at all, but he prophesied over her, and he prophesied about West Bridgeford. And he said this, God says you will see pastures and more pastures that will open up to you to the right and to the left. And there will be sheep, more sheep, much sheep. He's not talking about the mare sheep. He's not talking about any Derby fans. He's talking about people. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Not. Anyway. He carries on. Sheep would be grazing in the pasture and you will approach them and they will become yours because they are mine. This is God speaking through Smith to Mary. He also told her that that there will be sheep in Keyworth, Cotgrave and Clifton. Now Mary's husband Les went on to become the pastor of the church that used to meet in this building on Welling Lane. And he heard God speak to him in the 50s, reminding him of the same word. And he said, and I quote, because he wrote a book called The 22 Steps to Welling Lane. He said, I became aware in my spirit that the Lord was referring to more sheep in the village of Cotgrave and the residential area of Keyworth. And I absolutely love that because that is two areas of our current vision that we believe God is sending us into 
There are already Pentecostal churches in Clifton, so the sea and the rock is definitely not Clifton. But what I'm saying is this church building was actually planted as a result of Smith Wigglesworth's prophecy, and that there would be much sheep, which extends to Cotgrave and Keyworth. Wow. And when God told us, Ali and I, this, our vision, we had no idea that Smith had already prophesied though, that, those areas over Mary. And I don't know if that prophecy was for Mary personally or to be passed down to subsequent generations. But when I look around at the sizes of the churches in West Bridgeford and the size of our church compared to the number of people who actually live in Cockgrave and Keyworth and West Bridgeford, I think we have to say that we haven't got that many sheep yet. But pastures have definitely opened up to the left and to the right. Gamston didn't exist when Smith prophesied over Mary, nor did Compton Acres, and nor did any of the new developments in the areas that we're going to, and nor did Ed Walton. And interestingly, when we pioneered the rock, we received a prophetic word from somebody, and he said this, and I quote again, it's great that you've identified Cockgrave, Ruddington, and Keyworth, but don't overlook a big new future development somewhere within your patch where we sense you will be really in the thick of things there, even being approached by the council to work on bringing the new community together, maybe even a building in that area. And just like that, Ed Walton has exploded with houses and new estates. And he said, maybe even a building in that area. Well, that hasn't happened yet, but they haven't built the community centre yet. But I know there are plans for it. And God does seem to be in the habit of helping us to acquire buildings. I'll come back to that in a minute. I want to read to you from Joshua 1. It says this. After the death of Moses, the servant of God, God spoke to Joshua, Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Get going. Cross this Jordan River, you and all the people. Cross to the country I'm giving to the people of Israel. I'm going to give you every square inch of land that you set your foot on, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness on this Lebanon east to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the Hittite country, and then west to the great sea. It's all yours. All your life, no one will be able to hold anything against you. In the same way that I was with Moses, I will be with you. I won't give up on you. I won't leave you. Strength, courage. You're going to lead this people to inherit the land that I promised to give their ancestors. Give it everything you've got, heart and soul. Make sure you carry out the revelation that Moses commanded you, every single bit of it. Don't get off track, either to the left or to the right, as to make sure you get to where you're going. Almost 30 years ago, the same words of verse 3 were prophesied over Pastor Ali. It was said, I have given you every place on which the sole of your foot treads. When we first pioneered the rock, we were nomads. We had no building, no place to call our home, and we rented for the first seven years of our existence, setting up, packing down, moving out of one building into another. We even rented the one that we're sat in right now. And now it's ours. We rented Luttrell Hall, and now it's ours. We helped the Catalyst Church financially, and now it's ours. We managed to open up the community hall in Keyworth that I'd never opened in its 100-year history and said it never would, a door that was tightly shut to us, and now it's open waiting for us to arrive. And just recently with Ali's prophetic dream around the Methodist Church in Rundington, who knows what could happen there, but we're now sharing their space with them. That's what their leaders have said. It's not that we're renting their building. They've told us, thank you for sharing our space. Who knows what's going to happen there? In fact, thinking about it, the only place we've not reaped from that we've rented is the city ground. 
Actually, we have. We, um, we went to Candleby Lane in Cockgrave, but I believe we're going back there, so it's all good. I believe there are sheep, more sheep, much sheep, waiting to be loved on, waiting to be encouraged, waiting for an invite. Well done, Sandy, for stepping out and talking to people. And I do not believe that Smith's prophetic word has been fulfilled yet. So this morning, I want to talk to us about possessing our promised land for us as a church, but also for you guys individually. But for those of you who you know your Bibles well, you'll be aware that there can be no promised land without first walking around in the wilderness. And we hear about that in the book of Exodus chapters 1 to 12, where we're told that God rescued the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptians where they've been held captive as slaves for hundreds of years. Once he got them out, we're there now that they famously wandered around in the desert for 40 years before receiving the promise. And we'll come on to the why in just a moment. But the wilderness is described as uncultivated, uninhabited, and inhospitable. It's hard work and it's uncomfortable. It can be a place of exposure where God highlights things in our lives or maybe in the life of the church. Or we might be in a place of sin or bondage that we need to escape. It's like being in a dry desert and it is utterly frustrating. But the wilderness is a womb. It's the womb where God's character gets to grow inside of us. And if we'll let it, it will grow. And that's why the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. They didn't listen. They didn't obey. All they seemed to do was mumble and grumble and worship anything but God. If I could use a football in analogy of the wilderness, this might help you get a bit of a fresh perspective. And you all know who I'm going to talk about, because I talk about it every time I get on the stage. Forest. Forest languished in the wilderness of the championship for 23 years. It's the land of second best. It's the land nobody really wants to be in. It's the land where all the time you moan and complain because it's hard and it hurts and it's embarrassing and it's hard to get out of. And all the while you can see the promised land of the premiership every night, every Saturday night on match of the day. You can see it, but you can't get anywhere near it. But you have to sort yourself out to get out of the wilderness. You have to be the best. And you have to have a strong, courageous leader. And you have to put in a lot of effort. 23 years was a long time for Forrest to languish. 40 years was a long time for the Israelites to languish. Especially as they were only camped seven miles from the promised land. And that word given to Mary Bicknell, a sheep, more sheep, much sheep. That is now, to this year, exactly 80 years old. That's twice the amount of time that the Israelites waited. That is a long time to wait for a promise. So I want to put it to you today that I think our promised land is on its way. I think it's there for the taking. And the promised land is defined, is defined as a physical location or a place or a situation where someone expects to find great happiness and we first read about it in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis 12, where God instructs Abram to leave the familiar, to go to a land that God has predestined for him and his descendants. Verse 2 to 3 says this, I'm going to make you a great nation and I will bless you. I'm going to make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Wow, what a promise. That's the promised land. So I propose to us prophetically, and with any prophetic word, it has to be weighed up, that the time is coming for us, that we are on the brink of seeing something so spectacular 
that God is going to manifest. And for those of you who were at, the, at our last RPM, not, not the one we just done, the one before in December, Di spoke about this, this uh, Smith Wigglesworth prophecy as well. And three separate individuals that were in the prayer meeting all had different words and pictures, and they were all about sheep and shepherds and pastures. So God is definitely on the move. So let me get you to our key text for this morning. I'm going to read from Numbers 13. If you've got your Bibles, you can dive in. It'll come up on the screen. We're going to read from verse 1. God spoke to Moses, Send men out to scout the country of Canaan that I'm giving to the people of Israel. Send one man from each ancestral tribe, each one a tried and true leader in the tribe. And then there's a list of all the names that they, that they sent. So we're going to pick it up again at verse 17. When Moses sent them off to scout out Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and into the hill country. Look the land over and see what it's like. Assess the people. Are they strong or weak? Are they few or many? Observe the land. Is it pleasant or harsh? Describe the towns where they live. Are they open camps or fortified with walls? And the soil, is it fertile or barren? Are there forests? And try to bring back a sample of the produce that grows there. This is the season for the first ripe grapes. And with that, they're on their way. They scouted out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob towards Lebo Hamath. Their route went through the Negev desert to the town of Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, descendants of the great giant Anak, lived there. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they arrived at the Eshkol Valley, they cut off a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and it took two men to carry it slung on a pole. They also picked some pomegranates and figs, and they named the place Eshkol Valley, Grape Cluster Valley, because of the huge clusters of grapes they cut down there. After 40 days of scouting out the land, they returned home. They presented themselves before Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they reported to the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And then they told the story of their trip. We went up to the land you sent us to and, oh, it does flow with milk and honey. Just look at this fruit. The only thing is that the people who live there are fierce. Their cities are huge and well fortified. And worse yet, we saw descendants of the giant Anak. Amalekites are spread out in the Negev. Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites hold the hill country. And the Canaanites are established on the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan. And Caleb interrupts, calls for silence before Moses and says, Let's go! Let's take the land! We can do it! But the others said, We can't attack these people. They're way stronger than we are. They're spreading scary rumors among the people of Israel. They said, we scouted out the land from one end to the other. It's a land that swallows people whole. Everybody we saw was huge. Even the Nephilim are giants. We felt like grasshoppers, and they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. I want to give us five secrets this morning to possessing our promised land, whether that be for you, as I said earlier, or for, or for us personally as a church. Notice what happened in this story. The Bible tells us that after 40 days, 12 spies came back. 10 of them gave a bad report, and two of them had a good one. The 10 said, listen up, Moses, my man. There's grapes there the size of watermelons. The land is super productive. But, and then the excuses start. Four of them, four reasons that they said they couldn't possess the land. They moaned, the people are super strong. Not only that, they've got this superhuman army backing them, and it's not just that these guys are strong, they're, they're fallen angels. These are super warriors that hold superpowers. 
And all the cities are walled. We're talking massive, thick walls. And the land literally eats people. It's a tough terrain out there, Moses. But notice what they're focusing on. They focused on what they can see, not on what God said. He'd already told them in Deuteronomy, I brought you out to take you into a land, a land of promise flowing with milk and honey. God does not want to bring us out of the wilderness to just have us keep wandering around in it. He wants to bring us out into a beautiful, spacious place, free from limitation, free from frustration, free from intimidation. So here's a question to all of us this morning. What is keeping us out of our promised land? The 10 spies said it was the walls. The walls are keeping us out. And it's the giants, the strong opposition of the people. They're keeping us out. And the territory, the terrain, it's too difficult. We can't navigate it. That's keeping us out. And you know what? The more they banged on about the walls and the giants and the strength of the enemy and the difficulty of the territory, the thicker the walls got, the taller the giants got, the stronger the people got, and the more difficult the terrain got. So we've heard man's appraisal of why they're not entering. There's a blame game going on. Walls, giants, strong people, tough terrain. And God's like, okay, you want my appraisal of the situation? And he tells them the reason they can't enter the promised land is because of unbelief. It had nothing to do with walls or strength or giants or terrain. The problem was them. God said, all you had to do was believe in me. All we have to do is believe in him. We need to get rid of the excuses and quit with the unbelief. That that little word unbelief, it means to be unpersuaded. In the Israelites' hearts, they were unpersuaded that God loved them, that he was for them, that he was good to them. They even believed that he hated them. Deuteronomy 1.27 says they murmured and were ill-tempered in their tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he's brought us from the land of Egypt just to hand us over the Amorites who are going to destroy us. And maybe today there are some believers who won't get to their own promised land because their opinion of God is exactly the same. They're unpersuaded. We don't believe he's good, that he's for us, that he loves us. We don't believe the word, that he longs to heal and deliver and favor and bless. And the sad thing about the 10 spies is that nobody wants to remember people who tell us what we can't do. You know, nobody wants to hang around with the negative Nancys. So if we want to be remembered, it had better be for telling people what they can do. Tell your families what they can do. Tell your children what they can do, not what they can't. Let's choose to be like Joshua and Caleb, the ones who return with a totally different report. I love Caleb. He just gets in there, interrupts, calls for silence, and just lets rip. We can do it. We can take the land. It's ours. He's the absolute opposite of doubt and unbelief. There's a story told of a multimillionaire in Texas who had a massive Olympic-sized swimming pool at his mansion. And one day he holds this big barbecue and invites all his mates over. And they're there in the back garden getting their hot dogs and burgers. And they check out the pool and they find that it's full of crocodiles. So they ask him, what's with all the crocs? And he said, well, the number one quality I admire above all others is courage. And around these parts, it's well known that anyone who's willing to jump in one end of my pool and swim to the other through the crocodiles will get a check from me for a million dollars. 
All of a sudden, there's a splash. And this guy is swimming for his life like an Olympic swimmer. And he's almost walking on water. And so somehow he manages to reach the end and get out. And the millionaire goes running up to him and says, Whoa, never seen courage like that on display in all my life. That was amazing. Who do I write the check to? And the guy says, To be honest, I just want to know who pushed me. Sometimes in our doubt and our unbelief, we just need to be pushed. And maybe some of you are ready for that nudge this morning. Maybe some of you can taste it, you can see it, but you're not quite there yet and you just need that nudge. So let's remember, intimidation and unbelief kept the Israelites out of the promised land. Secondly, we need to fight off grumbling and complaining with everything in us. And I am definitely preaching to myself when I say this point. Because Ali stood here on New Year's Eve and his message, was, which was great. But he felt, he said, I feel like we're four years away from the completion of our vision. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, four years, yeah. And then I'm like, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Four years away would take us to 2028. And we pioneered the church, pioneered the church in 2010. And we thought that vision would have been accomplished within those 10 years. We're already 14 years in and it hasn't been done. And now you're telling me I've got to wait another four years for the vision. No, I'm not having that. And I was mumbling and grumbling. And... But the problem with that is that murmuring and complaining will always delay the possession of the promised land indefinitely. Always. So what are you complaining and grumbling about, I wonder? How you slept last night, your achy bones, the weather, the traffic, other drivers, the government, your boss, your company, your partner, your kids, the pastors, where you are or aren't in your ministry, or maybe you've even mumbled and grumbled and complained about your God. <sighs> Why do all these people get blessed and I'm still waiting? How comes that person never ties and they're blessed with money? <sighs> Every time we complain, all it does is takes us around the same old circle and keeps us from the promises that we're utterly longing for. If you want to get off the 40-year plan and possess your promised land, you need to quit complaining. Thirdly, let's get rid of a grasshopper mentality. The 10 Spies says, we're like grasshoppers in our own sight and in theirs. The grasshopper syndrome is a sure way to keep you out of the promised land instead of taking position of it. And it sounds something like this. I'm not qualified. I'm too old for that now. Nobody will give me a chance. I'll never be able to pay my debt off. I've already waited so long, it's not going to happen now. But as long as we keep making excuses and speaking a bad report, nothing change. So let's endeavor to have a different spirit like Caleb. Let's make our speech healthy no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like. Keep making those positive confessions. Well, I'm going for it. I can surely do it. All things are possible with God. There isn't anything too hard for him. The promised land is mine and I'm going to take it. Let's change our language a bit. Fourthly, we need to obey. We just need to do whatever God tells us to do because obedience brings the blessing of God. doesn't matter what it looks like. We just have to be willing to submit and walk into the great unknown. That's where the blessings are. Disobedience, on the other hand, always has consequences and they're never nice. Trust me. 
I've been around the old wandering for 40 years. It's not enjoyable. Even Moses, bless him. I mean, he was the one who led these people to the promised land. And he disobeyed God. And God says, there it is. It looks lovely, doesn't it? And Moses is like, it looks amazing. And God says, yeah, well, you're not going. How unfair is that? He had to put up with all those years of his people mumbling and grumbling and complaining. And then he gets right to the edge. And God literally like dangles the carrot. Look at that. You're not having it. Let's not kid ourselves. Any kind of disobedience is going to railroad us. And let me tell you this, partial obedience is still disobedience. You want to enter your promised land. You need to do exactly what God says. And fifthly and finally, you want to possess the promised land, you're going to have to wait. Just like Joshua and Caleb who hung on to their belief for 40 years, they waited And then they did this. They got ready to fight. Because even after the waiting, we don't get handed what we want on a a plate. We're not going to go strolling into the promised land in our sliders, sipping on our pina coladas. It's not going to happen, guys. Wouldn't that be nice? It's been hard work up to this point. A lot of hard work possessing the land. And it's going to be hard work possessing even more of it. We have promises from God. They belong to us. But they're not automatic. The promised land already belonged to the Israelites. God said he had given it to them. But he also told them, you need to go in armed to take it. The taking it part was going to involve a battle, but he'd already told him that the battle was guaranteed. The victory was guaranteed. And what does that mean for us? It means circumstances are going to battle us. Our thoughts are going to fight against us. An impossibility will stare us in the face and taunt us. But we still need to fight. When Forrest entered the promised land of the Premier League, they didn't just waltz in. They battled all that season to get there. You know, when the new manager came in halfway through the season, Forrest were bottom of the league. They were staring League One in the face. They were nowhere near the Premiership. This is why nobody wanted Steve Cooper to be sacked, because he'd done such an amazing work. So he took us from staring relegation in the face right into the promised land. We fought back in that second half of the season. We moved up the table. We just missed out on automatic promotion. That meant we needed to fight in the playoffs. And then we got to Wembley and we had to fight. And we didn't even score at Wembley, but we won. We fought our way into the promised land to secure that coveted spot. And yet, even when you get there, you have to fight. If we hadn't have scrapped it out, Last year in the first season, we'd have gone straight back down. Listen, when you've languished somewhere and escaped it and come into the promised land, the last thing you want to do is to go back to where you came from. Amen? Nobody wants to go back into the land of the wilderness and languishing. So we need to fight. We fight with our words. We fight with our giving and our worship. And when the opposition comes against us entering the promised land, and it will, it will, We need to be strong and courageous. Those four words get mentioned 25 times in the Bible, and four of them were to Joshua around these stories. Be strong and courageous. When we're totally committed to trusting and living out God's word, there won't be anything or anyone that can shut us up or keep us down. We may have some battles to fight to possess it, but we're not fighting alone. We're on the winning team. So who's ready to maybe dip their toes in the water?
Come on. Because on the way to the promised land, God will ask us to do something. And maybe you're at that water's edge today. You're ready. But to cross over, the Israelites had to do something. They had to make the first move. They had to dip their feet in the water before the waters parted for them. So is there maybe a move that you need to make? Is there a step of faith that you need to take? Are there some negative voices in your head that you need to silence? Are there maybe some tough circumstances that you're in that are just holding you back, which means you have to apply a bit more faith? Maybe even, and Sharon touched on this this morning in our prayer meeting, maybe even there are some people you need to offload from your life because you can't take them where you're going. Only believe, Rock Church. Be fully expectant. Let's have that air of expectation that we are about to cross over into the promised land. And let me close by echoing the words of Caleb. Let's go. Let's take the land because we can surely do it. Amen? Amen. Thank you.